All right, who loves a summer barbecue as much as I do? Listen, if you want to impress everyone with some super yummy dishes, you need ButcherBox in your life. ButcherBox is my go-to subscription box that delivers high-quality meat and seafood to your door with free shipping always. And I'm talking high-quality cuts at an amazing value. 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. We are saving so much money every month with ButcherBox over going to the grocery store and buying meat and seafood and saving a lot of time. But get this, last month we saved nearly $200. I also love that ButcherBox curates these tips and recipes that are based on your box so you know what to cook. I made the most amazing steak with a basil sauce the other night. And oh, let me tell you, my friends all raved at how amazing it tasted. I'm definitely going to be pulling that recipe out. If you want great meat and seafood in your life, you need ButcherBox. Sign up for ButcherBox today by going to butcherbox.com etm and use code etm at checkout and enjoy your choice of bone-in chicken thighs, top sirloins, or salmon in every box for an entire year, plus get $20 off. Again, that's butcherbox.com etm and use code etm. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. In Chris Mansky's new book, The Prepared Investor, he says... There's a typical Wall Street response to any and all crises. Keep your diversified portfolios in place and someday, maybe years from now, investments will return to where they once were. And this type of weighted out mentality implies there's no way at all to prepare. So the follow-up question is, how do you become a prepared investor ready for any storm that comes your way? Stay tuned and you'll learn this answer and more in this must-listen-to episode. You're listening to Millennial Money with award-winning money expert and serial entrepreneur, Shauna Compton-Game, where we flip the script on the old-school approach to everything your parents never taught you about money. Each week, Shauna creates a safe space by talking with special guests from around the world about money wellness, entrepreneurship, traveling like a boss, and what makes millennials tick. Unique stories, trailblazing perspectives, tips, tricks, and everything there is to know about money. Find it all here as you uncover your money story and unlock the life you want to live. Pretty cool, right? Here's Shauna, money expert, Indiana Hoosier, and burger aficionado. Hey there, friends. Hope you're doing well. I'm going to be hitting you with a bunch of investing episodes over the next few weeks, so I hope you don't mind. It is always a number one goal for so many people for the new year, and my hope is that You find someone on the show that you really resonate with. Maybe someone's insights spark something in you that gets you more engaged with your investing and quite honestly, just how you deal with money overall. And this episode, this one is going to be epic. As Chris Mansky says, does it make sense that no matter the type of crises, Wall Street always advises investors to just stay the course? You've probably heard this so many times, right? There's this story that is usually told about investing through crisis, a story that focuses on inaction and patience. 
just wait it out. You, you hear that literally all the time. Well, in Chris's book, The Prepared Investor, he shows that the true story of investing through crisis is very different and that if we want to understand how to protect and grow investments during crisis and calamity, we just need to spend more time actively preparing for it. So let's do that, right? Let's do that in this episode. Let's learn how to get prepared. Let's hear more from Chris. I was telling you before we hit the record button, I have dog-eared almost every page, it feels like, in your new book, The Prepared Investor. And I, I wanted to go through some parts that really jumped out. Really, in the in the intro section, you say, there's a typical Wall Street response to any and all crises. Keep your diversified portfolios in place, and someday, maybe years from now, investors' uh, investments will return to where they once were. And then you go on to say that uh, this type of just the weighted out mentality implies that there actually is no way to prepare. And the whole book goes into basically debunking that. But I'd love to throw the question you ask kind of back at you. You know, how has the majority of the investing public just accepted this idea for so long now? I think the reason that it's been so well accepted and so you know, dog ear, just to use the, the phrase you had said, is that the, you know, the idea of doing nothing is easy. You know, it's just so simple. It takes no effort to say I'm out of control and I just have to stay the course. So that's one yeah. reason. Another reason that it's lasted so long is because it's also simple to sell that idea. It's very, very nuanced and complex to talk about the various steps to prepare for crisis. And so it's a lot easier for a brokerage force, for the Wall Street advisor to just sell the idea of it's, you know, it's going to be okay. You don't have to do a thing. Um, and then you kind of couple that with our natural inclinations. I mean, our, our you know, our natural inclination is to form up, uh, do the same thing as everyone else. You've heard the phrase "misery loves company." You know, <laughs> this is uh, this is what we naturally do. It, you know, that's why they call it the the herd of investors. You know, the herd meaning like the herd mentality. Yeah, and I think it's it's so interesting because I've been doing this show now for almost six years now. Hard to believe, and uh, I'm I'm a CFP myself, so. You know, I know a little bit about uh, investing enough to be dangerous, but I, I think over these six years, you know, the, the common question I get from people about investing is this difference in, in thought patterns, the difference between the buy, hold, don't worry about it. If the stock market tanks, it's okay. You've got, you know, 30, 40 years, whatever it may be, versus the other side, which is more, you know, the active investor, be prepared. And I think if I can speak for my listeners, a lot of them are in this state of just complete confusion and almost don't do anything. You know, how do we budge from that point? It is hard. You know, it requires having two thoughts in your mind at the same time. And in fact, I think of it a lot like the example of, uh, you know, like a, an infant who is ill and it's a really serious situation in this little babies in the, in the hospital and a week goes by and the baby is definitely getting better, but is not healthy yet. So that means when we look at this situation, we have to accept. And of course, we would be happy that it's been a week where the baby's been getting better. You know, the illness is 
is starting to subside and we can clearly see that the, the baby's healthier. But at the same time, we're, we have to also hold in our minds that this little child is not yet fully healthy. It's two totally different thoughts. It's getting better, but it is also not where we want it to be. And so having two thoughts in your mind is just hard for people to, to do. And I like to, I like that example because that's what you know, people have to do when it comes to the active and passive approach. The the passive approach, the you know, just uh, be diversified and and stay the course. It's appropriate. You know, in, in fact, in the book, I talk about how there's there's absolutely uh, crises where that is the right approach. It's just that it's not the right approach for for every single situation. And so, at the same time that you know that passive approach makes sense, there is also the uh, the appropriate times to be prepared, the appropriate times to be proactive, to uh, to use your intellect and your understanding of the world around you to be able to get ahead. And, and both of those concepts, I mean, people kind of think it's either e- either or. You can't do you can't do both, but you can. Yeah, and I, I you know talking about crises. The whole book is you go through crises after crises and kind of how the market responded and maybe what you should or shouldn't have done in that in that particular moment. And you talk about these two different types of crises, the the threatening and the the systematic. And I'm curious if you could run through, you know, what's the difference between these and maybe why should we care? Yes. Well, okay, so why should we care is because there are times when the type of crisis is going to matter. You know, it, in fact, it's a lot like uh, when you're driving your car, you know, it, you could have a tire that's low on air and you're going to be just fine. You'll get where you need to go. You can you can worry about pumping it up at a later date. But if you have a flat tire, that's a much different crisis. You know, <laughs> it, it, it means you've got to do something different. And and it's the same with, uh, you know, the systemic versus threatening question. I mean, I think every crisis that uh, any listener is going to have in the back of their mind can be categorized as either systemic or threatening. And the difference between them is that systemic, there is not an active threat. No one is out to get you. You know, a, a perfect example would be like a hurricane. The hurricane happens whether people were there or not. The hurricane sweeps across uh, the landscape, whether you know people are in its way or not. It's not actively seeking to hurt people. And then the opposite of that, now we're on the threatening side, is a uh, you know, perfect example would be a, a terrorist attack. The, right. These are individuals that absolutely are trying to hurt someone. And you know, when you understand that there's a difference between those two and you've got a, a little bit of an idea of how people react to that difference, well, that's the foundation for you know, next steps when this next, whatever the next crisis is, when it, when it strikes. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. Very interesting. That's a good, great way of, of explaining it. And I'm curious about obviously the current crisis we're in COVID. <laughs> it feels like so many people are having those like scratch your head moments. There's massive unemployment, businesses are closing, stay at home. People are working virtually, you know, you name it, life looks very different than it did last year. But then that's also coupled with really records with the, the stock market. And I, I, you know, why do these things not move in tandem? Well, I think it's because people are misunderstanding what investors think when it comes to crisis. So uh, 
one of the things that I talk about in the book is the ability to surprise an investor, surprise fear that, you know, it, that initial response is really the, you know, the catalyst for a lot of the, the bad movement in the stock market. But it's hard to surprise us. It really is very <laughs> difficult. And so, you know, here we are in a pandemic. Death is still very much a part of this COVID crisis. And yet the stock market is up. And the reason for that, uh, well, among the many reasons, but from a crisis preparedness perspective, the reason for that is we're used to it. We, we, we get used to things so quickly as, as an animal, we, we don't take long to get comfortable with the new norm. And, and we, you know, we can think about that in terms of, you know, a bad smell. You walk into a room and how long does it take before that bad smell is not bothering you anymore? You know, <laughs> Good we, point. Yeah, Good we point. adapt quickly. And so, you know, this, uh, this pandemic, it's very real. Uh, but the crisis for investors, now what we're dealing with is the aftermath. This is the aftermath of the investors crisis. The, uh, the actual uh, drop and reaction, that all happened back in March and April of 2020. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting perspective when you when you think about it that way. And you're right, we do we do as creatures adapt uh, really quickly. And you you talk about this in in your book that obviously history has a way of repeating itself. And I think that's what's really fascinating is you can look at past crises and know that we're going to have future crises. And you know what can you borrow from the the past to teach you about the present? So, I mean, this is this is a question that we could probably talk hours and hours and hours about. But how does somebody who's who's listening to this maybe who is a, a newer investor? How do we get financially prepared for for a future crisis? I mean, how do we really embody that word prepared? Well, I think it's no different from being prepared for anything else. Preparation is rather similar, uh, whether you're preparing for you know, a, a bad freeze that's going to come and maybe the water pipes in your house need to, need to be taken care of or preparing for the fact that you, know, you, you could have a flat tire in the future. And in fact, I love the flat tire example because I just recently taught my 16-year-old uh, daughter how to drive and how to take care of a flat tire. And it was maybe an hour, hour and a half of our life of, you know, using the tire jack and, you know, loosening the nuts and talking about the order that you go in. And just that education, it changes things. Even if she never has a flat tire in her life, I mean, probably she will, but, but just <laughs> the education, I mean, she has a lot more uh, confidence, a lot more courage, the ability to weather the storm is higher just because of how she feels about the situation. So, you know, in, in the investment markets, it's the exact same thing. Get a little bit of uh, instruction, a little bit of education. Obviously, uh, I, I think that my book is a great first step. But, you know, there's another book out there that I think is, is also a great step, and that's called uh, Factfulness by Hans Rosling. Uh, hmm. it, it's an excellent text that tells us how fear really distorts our ability to make good decisions. And that in fact, the world is quite different than what we tend to think of it. And, uh, and I think it's the same when, when a crisis strikes, that fear hits us and, yeah. and we don't make the very best decisions. 
But with preparation, our ability to manage our fear, to recognize it for what it really is, to see past it, is all heightened. So just the act of a little education really propels you forward. And then, you know, there's the, uh, you know, getting out of the touchy feely, oh, I feel good because I prepared. There's also just the, the real life scenario of, well, there was 20 action steps in this book. I've done four of them. This is real movement forward. I, you know, this is going to make a difference for me. You know, just like with the driving down the road, when the, when the flat tire hits, well, I've got the jack in my car. I've got the spare tire in my car. Those were actual things that I made sure were done so that I am prepared. Mm, yeah, I, I like that analogy a lot. I'm glad you brought up those action steps. So many of them really jumped out at me. I really love um, number four, where you say, don't use your savings to buy things that cost money. Instead, buy things that make money. And I think that's such a different perspective for us to think about uh, because, you know, particularly when we're 20s, 30s, even 40s, I mean, you could probably argue any age bracket. We like to buy stuff. <laughs> stuff makes us feel good. Stuff, when we don't feel good, we buy stuff. You know, stuff makes us feel better that we're uh, at a higher place in our lives, you know, all that sort of all that sort of stuff. So I, I just wish you could you could talk us through a little bit about, you know, how do you balance out that, that stuff versus you say, you know, buy things that actually make money? So tell me, what are your money goals that you have for this year? Maybe you're like me and endlessly looking for a house to buy and you're focused on saving for a down payment or you're drooling over traveling somewhere tropical this year and you want to save to pay for it. Or you're ready to leave your job and build your own business, so you're going to need some startup funds. Whatever your goals are this year, Monarch can help you reach them. In fact, the Wall Street Journal named Monarch the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress towards financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. What I love about Monarch is its simple and easy customizable design, so the dashboard can look exactly the way you want it to. I'm also a big fan of creating custom budgets for things like travel. It's one of my favorite money tips, and Monarch lets you do this so easily. This is such a great way to stay motivated when you've got a lot of money goals. You can easily track your progress with every dollar that you save or spend. Remember, your brain loves to see progress and you should celebrate it when you're saving money. And honestly, I am so focused on privacy, so I really admire that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties. This means a lot to me and it should mean a lot to you as well. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of the show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. From Foreign Policy, I'm Rena Nainan, the host of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women. Over the past few years, we've looked at how women around the world are changing societal norms to increase their economic power. This season, we're focusing completely on girls, how they're pushing for a brighter, more powerful future, 
and what the rest of us can do to set them up for success. Join us for stories about girl power, young women who are fighting for change, to give themselves a chance to live a life of their own choosing. That's season six of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, wherever you get your podcasts. Want to know the number one money question I'm asked? It's how to get started investing without being overwhelmed. So if you're asking yourself the same question, then you have to check out the Investing for Beginners podcast. The host, Dave and Andrew, they break down investment terms and strategies in a way you can finally understand. I love that they're making investing accessible and they have an entire podcast dedicated to helping you invest better. Even if you're not ready to start investing, they explain the stock market and financial updates so you can really understand what is being said on the news. If you're ready to learn more about investing, I'd recommend you start with two of my favorite episodes. Listener Q&A, how do you start investing with a thousand bucks, where they explain how you get started right away. And back to basics of building your portfolio, where they explain how to build a portfolio from scratch. The Investing for Beginners podcast is a great way to start expanding your relationship with money. Find Investing for Beginners podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, Listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into The Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to The Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. Rakuten helps you be a smarter shopper and save money on just about everything. People all have things they need to buy, whether it's home essentials or a self-care treat just for you. With Rakuten, you get cash back on clothes, groceries, travel, and much, much more. Even better, you can stack cash back on top of other deals like store sales and credit card points. In case you're wondering, the stores on Rakuten are the ones you know and love, and lots of cool ones waiting to be discovered, including Target, Lowe's, and Nike. When it comes to savvy shopping and saving money, Rakuten is a no-brainer. It's free and easy to join. Just go to Rakuten.com now or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. We have an Ask Shauna, and this one comes from Terry. Terry says, Hi, Shauna. I don't have a question, but rather a thank you. In February last year, I lost my job and honestly panicked almost to the point of a severe panic attack. I didn't know what to do for a few weeks. I had been listening to your show for some time now and said, okay, let me dive back into some episodes when you talked about side hustles. I got inspired, even made some money mantras, put them up on my walls and decided, why not? Let me just give it a try. I'm a bit old school and love knitting, so I decided I would start by making a few hats and scarves and put them up on Etsy and just see what happened. As you say, what is the worst case scenario? I started getting so many orders, I had to bring on some friends to help. Well, long story short, I am now here writing you over eight months later, letting you know that I'm making more money now 
than I was before and have a growing business. You've inspired me to be smart with my money, save for taxes, start separate savings accounts for goals, work on my mindset literally every single day. I still have those mantras taped up on my walls, and when I look at them, I think of you. I can't thank you enough. I know you really didn't do anything, but you actually did. You hung out with me every day until I decided to take action and felt like a friend along the way. Thank you, thank you. I don't know where the road is going, but I have confidence that I don't need to freak out as much about money anymore. I hope my story inspires somebody else to really take your episodes to heart and pull out what they learn and then put it to work. They say one person can't make a difference, but I wanted you to know that you are one person who has made a difference. So thank you again. Well, Terry, I I love this story. I'm going to continue to say I didn't really do anything. <laughs> I'm just here talking with you twice a week maybe showing up a couple more times a week, depending on how many episodes you listen. But you're right, you did the hard work, you actually dug in. And I have been in so many of those moments in my life where I didn't know what to do when the rug got pulled out. And panic and fear and dread, I can remember way back when I was just out of college, I had run a business through college and ended up selling it. And then worked at this really amazing startup at a pretty high position. And it was when the dot-com era was really getting juicy and there was a lot of money flowing in, but there weren't a lot of business models yet. And so I worked at this company and I was one of the heads and I was in my 20s and didn't know what I was doing, but sitting at a table with a lot of older men, I would say, who... Uh, apparently did know what they were doing. (laughs) And it was a scary time. It was an exciting time. And then one day it just all blew up. And I can remember going to dinner with my family that night. And I don't think I participated in the conversation at all. I just sat there thinking, what in the world am I going to do? What am I going to do? I was making great money. Now I I don't have anything. I sold my business. I I don't even know what to do with myself. That was a real turning point for me. And when I decided to go back and get my MBA, that kind of led to all of this. So sometimes those rugs being pulled out are just great inspiration and motivation for new things. So I'm I'm so excited for you. And we are a community here. So I think it's great to just cheer each one of us on. And your story has really even inspired me. I'm I'm getting ready to do something big. In a few days, I'll tell you more in future episodes, but I needed to hear your story to remind myself that change is not always a bad thing and that taking the courage, you just, you just never know what's going to turn out. So Terry, I'm excited for you and I can't wait and I can't wait to get one of those hats. (laughs) So do tell, please let me know your Etsy store name so I can go out and, and support you as well. It's such a hard thing to balance. And I think you're right that 20s, 30s, and 40s, this is the age where that challenge is at its greatest. I uh, I really respect the difficulty of this balance. So just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, uh, if if somebody who's, who's listening to our conversation, if they have a expensive car, you know, we'll, we'll talk about a car that 
uh, you know, cost thirty-five to eighty-five thousand dollars. That that's expensive. You know, that that's yes. you know, compared to what they could have gotten. You know, that's a lot of money. <laughs> that's a down payment on a house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It really is a lot of money. Okay, so the question becomes: Why did they get that when they could have something else that did not cost as much? And the answers are going to be wildly different. But somewhere in there, there's a minority of people that have a a legitimately important, clearly objective reason. But the majority of people, it's going to be about status. It's going to be about keeping up with the Joneses. It's going to be something that connects them to materialism. And this is a, a very difficult game to play because there's always someone who has a bigger house. There's always someone who has a, a fancier car. You know, it doesn't matter how many wristwatches you have, someone's going to have the one that you 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 don't. And and so it becomes this almost uh, you know black hole of you know my next goal. It's going to show that I'm successful, and then you reach it. And well, I'm the same person I was, you know, I'm driving this really fancy car, but what's really changed inside me, I think maybe I need to go for an even bigger, fancier car, you know, and <laughs> yes. it's, it's a really difficult path to walk. And, uh, and I, I think it, it, that particular action step, I love that you hone in on it first, because of all of them, I think that's the one that could probably be an entire book all by itself because it touches on some of the the really important topics that you know people who are just getting out of college or beginning their career that uh, they're they're facing. And and this, you know, I could I really you're right. I could talk about this for hours. This is what uh, has has birthed the fire movement is that people totally. recognize I am I am not happier with more bricks and windows around me, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've gone through a transformation myself. I mean, I certainly had a point in time where I thought the fancy car and the stuff, uh, made the difference. And then I went through a little over 10 years ago, a, uh, bad divorce and lost it all <laughs> except a suitcase with my clothes in it. And uh, that was really just sort of the very strong aha moment that none of this stuff really matters. I mean, in fact, now I have a house and I'm remarried and we obviously have more stuff. And there are days I go in the house, and I'm like, I don't need all this stuff. What is this? Why did we spend money on all this stuff? You know, my husband kind of shakes his head. But, uh, you know, I think this is this is a tough thing uh, to learn. Sometimes you have to go the hard way like I did and really, really learn it that way. And and I, I talk a lot about about mindset on this show because it's something that I really feel is is an edge, is a difference when you can understand money mindset and why you think act and feel certain ways. You know, how do you begin to to shift your thinking when it comes to this? Like, how do you begin to like really have those aha moments of I, I do want to invest in things that make money? You know, how, how do you have that shift? Well, there's probably a, a myriad of ways. In my 20 years of helping people deal with this, the way that I've landed on is, is actually another one of the action steps in the book. And it's it's not so much that you're going to have to you know snap your fingers and suddenly think differently. 
I think it more, it starts with doing something differently that leads to you thinking differently. And the, mm. and the doing something uh, is to set your lifestyle, to really limit it. The, the way that I suggest doing it in the book is that everything you make, every dollar, every cent that you earn, whether it's from a garage sale or from your regular job or from a bonus or, you know, however it is that the money comes into your life, it all goes to savings, every cent of it. And then once a month or twice a month, whatever's comfortable in, in, in your household, you pull out the fixed amount of money to your checking account. And that is what you use to live off of. And, and by doing this, this is the action that starts. And then what happens is that your mindset follows, because then when you want to do something that's actually outside your lifestyle, well, you go to your checking account and the money's not there, you know, and, and it helps you, you bump into the limits that you put on yourself and, and it helps you to, you know, to stay the course with this mindset that you don't want to expand your lifestyle. It doesn't matter if your, if your t-shirt says, you know, a fancy brand on it or not, you know, uh, <laughs> what you want to do is you want to expand your net worth. And even better than that is you want to expand your, uh, different ways that you're making money. And that's, that's what this, this action step that you brought up is, is all about is it's about buying things that make you money instead of things that just cost money and your money's gone. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's so powerful. I, I'm curious, you mentioned another another one of your action step, favorite action steps are. Do you have any others that really jump out at you? Well, the one I just mentioned, it, it's a real game changer for folks. You know, we've, we've had clients, you know, really smart people, Fortune 500 executives that, you know, we'd look back over five years, you know, the, the last five years, and we'd see that they were saving some fixed amount every single month. And it was that set it, forget it kind of a mindset like, oh, I'm saving. It's good. I'm saving every month. I'm saving. I'm, I'm moving forward. And I think a lot of uh, a lot of people listening to this conversation are thinking, well, yeah, that's what I do, too. That's a good thing. Right. Well, we'd look back at their five years and we would see that people don't make money in a straight line. It's very lumpy. It's very uh, organic. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so with bonuses coming in and with uh, pay raises that happen you know, their life expanded the five years, the money just kind of like filtered away because it was available in the checking account. Um, and, you know, if they had set their savings uh, as where all their money went into and then moved money out to checking the way that action step describes, it, it would have, I mean, it would have been a six figure amount of money in five years that they could have used to do, you know, to do, what makes sense and not to just be wow. So yeah, I do love that action step, but you know, another one that I, I love that people uh, I think underestimate the importance of is to guard your privacy. Mm, okay. Tell me more. Sure. So one of the action steps talks about the importance of valuing and guarding your privacy. And, uh, and the way that the way that I try to support the importance of that is with historical examples and, you know, in different book events and, and different situations, you know, speaking events, this is the one that people express the most shock about that they're surprised at the historical data that shows how people treat each other 
when they aren't guarding their privacy. So just as a quick example, you know, we had uh, we have in the United States real situations where the New York Times reported on people being killed, being murdered because their political views or their uh, ideas about soldiers and the military were different from you know what uh, was the norm at the time. Right. Uh, a- another, I think, kind of devastating example that a lot of people just don't hear about in our uh, you know U.S. history classes is uh, the internment of Japanese Americans after World War II. You know. We can't do much about our heritage. You know, we can't change our heritage, but the things that we can keep private, it's important to do so. And it's and it's such a problem today. You know, when you go onto social media, it's very divisive. I mean, people yes. are they're caustic, you know, it's really Yeah, kind of it's a, it is it is it actually really bothers me to an extent. I mean, just having the platform that I do with the podcast, like the things that people feel justified to tell you or share with you. I mean, it it really blows my mind. Well, in times of crisis, those private things that you should have guarded, they can really be used against you. And sometimes all you had to do is just not say anything. You know, guarding your privacy is, I mean, at the bare minimum, (laughs) it it would increase the the happiness and the good manners online today, right? (laughs) Right, you know, and if if that's all there is, I'm I'm more than happy. I'm more than happy with that. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. <laughs> yeah, well, I also read uh, in the acknowledgement section of your book that I believe you said it took this book about like ten years in the making. So I'm curious, what made you stay the course and really really want to to bring this book to life? Well, I think the main thing that helped me to stay the course was just the constant drip, drip, drip reminder from people all over the planet who had entrusted my team with their money, their questions, you know, they would ask questions such as, Hey, I just read this in the news. Am I ready for this? I'm really worried about X, Y, Z, you know, am I going to still be able to retire? I mean, they, I think it's very normal that we connect our financial stability and our future security with the instability and the, you know, the worries of tomorrow, that's a very normal connection to make. And, you know, when, when the, when the answer from wall street time and time again is, well, just do nothing, just ignore it. Just put your head in the sand. Don't worry. This will pass. When the next crisis hits, there's nothing you can do. You just, you know, you just outlast it and everything will be fine. That that doesn't, I think somewhere inside every everybody is a common sense voice that says to them, wait a minute, <laughs> does that, doesn't this doesn't sense. sound right. Yeah. Like how, how can that work? You know? And, um, and I had mentioned before this, this other book, Factfulness, you know, I think the two of them together, Factfulness and The Prepared Investor, uh, they really will change the way that you look at, you know, the common sense approach to seeing the world around you. Mm, I, I like that common sense. I think we we need a lot of that. Uh, so uh, just to wrap up a little bit, you know, what can we all learn to be smarter investors kind of all the way around? If somebody's if somebody's a newbie investor, 
what do you want them to take away from your book so that they feel like they're empowered to go out and invest from a really prepared standpoint? That's a wonderful question. I think there's a number of things I'd like for them to get from the book, but the the most important thing is a sense of uh, security and courage to face whatever the next crisis might be. We have been through truly horrific times. And while that on the surface feels negative, it's actually very encouraging. We've we've made it through, you know, the world truly is a better place than it was a hundred years ago. There's less death, there's less less violence, there's less disease, there's you know, there's more uh medical capability. I mean, the list goes on and on. The next crisis, when it comes, I hope that my book offers a real sense of confidence that we can get through it. And that we're not, we don't have to just sit on the sidelines and hope that we actually can be proactive and protect or even grow our net worth in the face of that crisis. Mm, I love it. Well, Chris, this has been so great. Thank you for imparting so much wisdom on us. I love for you to tell the listeners where they can go to, to find your book, The Prepared Investor, and also connect with you. Thank you. Well, so my name again is Chris Mansky, and a quick Google of my name is going to you know see me on LinkedIn, on Twitter. You'll see me uh, on Facebook, and I'm happy to connect on all those places. My firm's website uh, has a great blog with all kinds of uh, going ons, and you could see that at manskywealth.com. Uh, to get the book, uh, greatest is place is just go online wherever you normally buy books, and it's there. Uh, Amazon does a great job of ranking it against all the other books. So if you buy it from there, it helps our ranking. But um, you know, I also like the uh, the indie outlets. We, we've got a number of the prepared investor books going through the indie uh, websites, and that that's great too. One of my favorite parts of this episode is when Chris talked about spending your savings on things that make you money. That was just mind-blowing to me, and it's a theme that we've been hearing a lot from a lot of other guests lately. And quite honestly, I wish I would have had this perspective in my early 20s, but I think that's the beauty of money. We're allowed to learn and make mistakes and learn some more. And so hopefully Chris's message has really inspired you. Hey, look, if you found this episode interesting, please do me a favor, share it around, share it with friends, family members. It is the number one way we can keep this show growing and continue to bring on awesome guests like Chris. So thank you so much for being here. Hey, you. Yes, you. Before you go, we want to say thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Money. For all the links, tags, and ads you've heard on today's episode, check out the show notes or go to mmoneypodcast.com where you'll find more episodes to share with your friends. While you're at it, leave us a review and make sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss out on all the money tips and tricks that will take you from a millennial regular to a millennial money expert. See you back here in a few days with a fresh new episode. Everyone knows that putting money aside in savings is really important. But then what? Should you keep your savings locked in a CD for a higher rate or keep them liquid in a money market? Can your checking account help you save too? 
Or is it about creating the right combination? We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about the savings options that are right for you. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com. Member FDIC.